Hi, this is Anya Combs, Director of Games at Kickstarter, and you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Welcome to the Legends of Tabletop podcast. This is episode 185. We are slowly crawling our way till 200. We uh, rocketed to our first 100 episodes and things have kind of slowed down a little bit, but that's okay. I've got Anya Combs with me tonight. How you doing? How's it going? I am well. How are you? Doing good. I'm doing good. Okay. Um, uh, can you tell everybody kind of who you are and, and you know sort of how you've come to the place that you currently inhabit with Kickstarter? Sure, I'll try to make it as fast as I can. <laughs> uh, so I'm Anya Combs. I'm the director of games at Kickstarter. Um, I've been at Kickstarter almost five years. It'll be five years in January. Um, I've been in the games industry 12 years. Next year will be 13, which is wild to think about. Um, I got my start at addictinggames.com as the developer relations person and worked my way through addicting games doing pretty much everything except for coding and design work and things like that. Um, we were owned by MTV Networks. We were owned by Nickelodeon. Um, I got moved out from our San Francisco office to our New York office where I did a ton of stuff for Nickelodeon for the games division. Uh, I realized the corporate life was not for me um, and moved over to Kickstarter in 2016, I believe. Yes, um, 2016, where I've been there again for about five years. Um, I now run the games category, which is wild. Uh, there's three of us in total, so I have two people that work with me to help bring you all the fun tabletop and video games that are currently on the site. And cool. you can see all my tabletop games here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Before we like jump into just like general conversation, mm -hmm. um, how are you doing? How are you making out? How, how are things for you? Or, you know, around where you are? Are you staying safe? Yeah. You know, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I got my negative COVID test two days ago. So, or maybe it was yesterday. No, it was two days ago. Um, so that's good. Uh, it's, you know, it's a crazy year. It's, and it looks like it's going to be continuing for a while. Um, our offices are closed until April of next year. So we've been working from home almost a year at this point. Wow. Um, I don't really mind working from home to be perfectly honest. Like I kind of enjoy it. Uh, but I think, you know, the social isolation is a little weird, uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of doing what I can to get by. I'm, I'm doing a lot of like apartment projects here in my apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm going to learn how to install shelves. That'll be fun. Nice. There you go. <laughs> hey, YouTube is your friend. You can, you can learn how to do almost anything. <laughs> yeah. This wall behind me where my little, my tiny little Christmas tree is, uh, I'm going to try to install a Murphy table. So that'll be a fun, weird project that I don't really know anything about. So I'm going to be doing a ton of research in the next couple of weeks. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, other than that, things are, you know, I think uh, I'm alive, I'm healthy, I can't really complain. So <laughs> cool. cool. So I, I assume that then that this year's had a, a you know a big impact on you being in New York, mm -hmm. and that you can't just sort of, you know, 
go out and do stuff. I mean, obviously we're all sort of, you know, distancing from, from friends and family and all that's like, but I'm still like, I go to work. Mm -hmm. uh, so like I get out of the house. So I, I can't imagine what it's like to, to not be able to leave. Right. Like it, it just, it puts things in a different perspective that sometimes it's like, Oh yes. Like when people were talking about getting haircuts, I was like, I should, you know, I shave my head. So I'm like, Oh yeah, shit. Like, a guy would go get his haircut like once a month, you know, woman, woman go get her haircut, you know, once a month, every two months or whatever. And I'm like, wow, that's a thing. <laughs> oh yeah. I got my haircut uh, a couple weeks ago by someone who actually came to my apartment and then like right here, she just cut my hair in my apartment. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It was great. There's a lot of, I mean, I still, I definitely still like, I go out obviously, you know, in a socially distanced way. I mean, I'm not going to like people's apartments and hanging out or anything like that. I, I'm really lucky where <clears throat> my neighbors who live next door, um, the only thing that separates us is these two balconies and this tiny little gate. And so I potted up with them. So I get to hang oh, out with those who are like two of my best friends. Um, one of my other best friends just moved down the street. So we have a bit of a like a little four pod sort of thing, which has been like really, really great just having that social time. Um, but like, I still go, you know, I go to the grocery store, I'll go for walks. I, I've been, you know, slowly going back to the gym, but I feel a little weird just with the COVID numbers. So I'm kind of right. cautious about that. Um, I, there's a, there's a bar down the street that I'll go to every once in a while. Um, they're, they take it, they take everything really seriously. Like a lot of it in New York is if you can find the spots where people take the virus seriously, then you're totally fine. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah I had the same thing with the gym. I was going and then they were closed and then they were open, you know, mm -hmm. they'd go for two weeks and then they'd close in like the last two, three weeks. I'm like, I don't want, I really don't want to go anyway. So I'm like, hey, fuck, I just stay home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many like home workouts that you can do anyway. It's like, and that's the other thing that's been really interesting is it's just like, I mean, people are realizing that like, you don't really need a gym. Yeah. It's just, like, it just gets you out. That's really like the benefit of it. See, I'm, I'm inherently pretty lazy. So it's hard for me to like, try to get anything done. Like I go hiking on the weekends and stuff, but you know, to, to get out to the gym, it's like, Oh, if I'm paying for it, I can, I, I guess I'm going to go, whatever. Yeah. When I'm home, I'm like, oh, the Mandalorian came out today? Cool. I'm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I've actually, a lot of my friends have been doing Ring Fit. Um, a lot of my game industry friends, like my video game industry friends, like they're obsessed with Ring Fit and um, Supernatural VR. I have a lot of friends that have like, you know, they've just been staying really active through like video games, which is so funny and interesting to me. And like I, a lot of these things came out at such a, such a perfect time no right, right. <laughs> everybody's dusting off their uh their wees now and using their wee fits <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is great like it's just i think so much of it is just about moving your body like you know money that it makes like what's also the cultural impact right so like undertale i think is a great example of that where like game didn't it funded it you know made a lot more than what it necessarily needed but it that was not a million dollar project um that was a project that ultimately like had such a huge cultural impact within the community, right? Um, right? So the things that are necessary now, and what we've seen a lot of, is that uh, it's Kickstarter has definitely become a place where people kind of launch like one or two projects, right? Specifically, I'm talking for like tabletop, and they're like, oh wow, this actually like there's a viable business model here, and so I keep hearing story after story of people that have just like launched a project, sort of hoping that it would take off, and now their entire business is run on Kickstarter. 
So it's, it's just kind of a wild, like place to kind of exist and it's cool and it's interesting. And, you know, I can't really complain necessarily, but it is just sort of interesting to be like, wow, we are responsible for so many like game businesses that exist out there. Yeah. And, and you even see some of the bigger, you know, you know, we say bigger, but you know, like say Tasty Minstrel, I, you know, there's like three or four people that work there, but they're, you know, you throw out Tasty Minstrel and everybody's like, oh yeah, Tasty Minstrel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see companies like that as well, also using the platform. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of unfair to say like as a pre-order system, um, right. but, but again, especially, you know, be, because, you know, it's a, it's a business, but it's a small business that allows them to function in a way that, you know, they couldn't necessarily just print 10,000 games and then hope that they're going to sell them. Right. Um, well, I think Cool Mini or Not is a great example of that. Um, where like we, you know, I understand the criticism of like, oh, these big companies are just like buying every, you know, eating up all the sort of real estate on Kickstarter. And the reality is that's, I mean, not only is that just not true, just from the standpoint of like when a Cool Mini or Project a cool mini or not project launches um what happens is that they bring a lot of eyeballs to the site so mm-hmm. i hear a lot of you know sort of grumblings of people that are like i need to know when these big projects are launching and the truth of the matter is i'm actually under an nda so i'm not allowed to tell people when projects are launching oh, um, okay. but the other side of that is i under you know people are like well i want to know when you know there's any big projects that are launching on the same day that i'm launching because they're just going to eat all the real estate up that's not true what ends up happening is if you launch on the same day like as a pulmini or not or you know like if you know frost haven 2.0 is going to launch or something not saying that's happening <laughs> information you heard here first <laughs> no 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 <laughs> um but like if you're launching around you know the days of of you know, project of that caliber launching, uh, you actually get more pledges to your project because there's more, there's more eyeballs on the site. Um, so there's sort of like pushback that I get from people that are like, Oh, you know, all these big companies are sort of eating everything up. It's, it's just simply not true. And, and for a company like cool mini, they're, they're bringing a very specific type of buyer for those types of projects. Right. So like someone who's interested in, you know, Death May Die or whatever, or, or they did Hate or whatever that other one was. Um, you know, they're looking for something that's got a lot of minis. They know what cool mini puts out. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily going to translate to, you know, maybe a smaller company or, or something that's not as heavy or not as mm-hmm. mini-centric. Um, so, yeah, there, but there does seem to be that sort of um, narrative of, you know, these bigger companies, especially especially with cool mini, because they so much money yeah. <laughs> overshadowing or, or, or pulling away from, from some of these other, other companies, smaller companies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear, I hear that criticism all the time. And again, I totally understand it, but it's the same with every category. It's not just games, right? Like Zach Braff launches a, a film project. Mm-hmm. You're going to get more eyeballs on that project. A critical role launches a, you know, a film project. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get more sort of eyeballs on the site. What's interesting is that, when Critical Role launched, what we found is that uh, mo- there were more people that backed games projects when they launched, even though they were in the film category. So people yeah. who came to Kickstarter to, to back Critical Role, the film project, they ended up backing more projects in the games category than they did in the film category. So it's you know, the community thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, we're 
podcasters, you know, board gamers and whatever. So like it's very specific to, to Kickstarter. I have a friend who runs his own small uh, company thing 12 and they use Kickstarter for all their stuff. And, um, you know, so many games and I forgot where I was going. I should probably edit this out. There was a point and it just kind of. That's okay. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, We'll, we'll bump this question up to the front because I know everybody probably asks you this one. Mm-hmm. How do I, you know, how does someone get their project in the, you know, featured on the front page as a, as a you know, Kickstarter? Uh, the number one question I get. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a false narrative. There's a false understanding that there's like a, um, an algorithm or like a metric or something that you need to meet in order to be featured. And that's not the case at all. Um, it's not like, oh, you've reached... 50% of your project or 50% of your funding and suddenly you're featured. It's not a situation where you get X amount of backers and then you're featured. That's not the case at all. We have a team specifically uh, that curates all of the features on Kickstarter. So that includes anything that's like on kickstarter.com. That includes any newsletters go out. That includes any sort of like social media posts, just anything that has anything to do with Kickstarter that Kickstarter is able to control. Um, that team who curates all of that, the curation team, they are constantly looking to people like myself and my team. Um, we are part of a larger outreach team. So there's like, we have counterpoints in film, we have counterpoints in music, we have counterpoints in design and technology and a couple other categories. Um, they are looking to us to say, these are the projects that we either like, we love because of whatever reason, either we're working with the, those creators or we just see that the projects exist and we're like, this is great, we love this, it's fantastic. Um, they look to us to kind of like provide insight into uh, projects that should be featured. So it's not a metrics thing. It's not a, it's not a algorithm of any kind. It's all done by actual humans who put a lot of thought and care into how we want, what projects we want to be featured on the site. Cool. Very cool. And, and I, I just remember where my digression, my digression was going to, cool. um, because we're, you know, so game centric, sometimes forget that Kickstarter has other stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there's movies and books, and there's there's a section for food items. I was looking earlier today. I'm like, what the hell? But yeah, it, it's interesting that you know we get so hyper focused on that, but there's a whole other side to Kickstarter. No, oh, I, I believe me, I understand. <laughs> so, is there any communication between you know divisions, so to speak, as far as you know, like overall how the platform's doing, you know, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter also, like, the thing to remember is that Kickstarter at the end of the day is a business. So, like, we have our own internal numbers that we're supposed to meet. We have our own sort of, like, internal data and information and metrics and and things like that um, that sort of determine how we're doing as a business. Um, We have a lot of – it's definitely not, like, a corporate structure or anything like that. Um, We're also a very small team. I think people don't realize how small Kickstarter actually is. We're, like, less than 100 people. Um, the games team, there's only three of us. Right. Uh, myself, there's John Ritter Roderick, who is our uh, senior outreach of Tabletop, and then Michael Weeb, who is our European consultant, um, the European outreach consultant. Uh, and we're pretty much it. So we're, we're pretty busy all the time. Right. Uh, but we're in constant communication with everyone at Kickstarter. Like it's a very collaborative, uh, everybody is very committed to like what Kickstarter's mission is, which is really cool. And it's, it's rewarding to go into work every day and be like, everyone really cares about what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That always helps. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the three, uh, when I was looking earlier today, I think there's about 600 game projects right now. That um, are live. Yeah. Kickstarter. yeah. 
That's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, usually there's like between 650 and 750. So we're, we're in the slow part of the year. <laughs> right. We're in the fulfillment part of the year, hopefully. Exactly. exactly yeah. Uh, let me see who's going somewhere and I, and I forgot. Oh, um, so what's overall, and I don't know if this is something that you can speak to specifically, but, but what is, how does the game, how does it do financially? Like, like what are we looking at as far as, as numbers for, for the amount of board games and stuff that, that come through in a year? So, yeah, well, board games are doing really well. We met, we hit a metric this year of a billion dollars pledged to just board games. <laughs> This is really cool. Um, yeah, it's it's the numbers behind board games are, I've it's kind of staggering, um, and you see it when you're out in the world, like at Target or just like you know, Target is one sort of small faction of it, but even just like if you go online shopping for board games and things like that, but if you go to a board game store, like a specific you know store like a cafe or something like that if you just walk through and i only can do this because i work for kickstarter i would never expect anyone to be like oh yeah i know these games that are you know funded on kickstarter like i'll go into any board game cafe i always really enjoy doing this just because i am a little bit of a troll but i'll kind of walk in and unfortunately it is sort of a thing where people are like she probably doesn't know anything about board games and i'm like okay it's adorable so i'll walk in and i'll just be like oh yeah this was funded on kickstarter this is funded on kickstarter this is funded on kickstarter and i ask people i'll ask the staff like what what would you recommend uh and they never actually ask me like what types of games i like to play mm. they always recommend like sushi go or like you know, some really simplistic card game. And I'm like, that's really interesting to me. And I did this with a friend of mine recently where there's a board game cafe close to my apartment where we walked in and I was like, oh yeah, this is so cool. And, you know, I was like, it's Gloomhaven and there's this and this and this and this and this. And the owner of the cafe was like, oh, cool. Are you, are you into board games? And I was like, oh yeah, I know a little bit about board games. You know, they're pretty cool. <laughs> and he was, he did the thing where he recommended the easy games. And I was like, oh, do you know this game? Or do you know this game or this game? Or like, oh, actually, these are my friends. Um, they're coming out with a new game that's live on Kickstarter right now. And my friend that I was with was like laughing a little bit because he knows what I do for a living. <laughs> and the owner was like, oh, they have a new game on Kickstarter? I was like, yeah. He was like, how did you know that? And I was like, oh, I'm actually the director of games at Kickstarter. If you want recommendations for your store, I'm happy to give them to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> do you get that? So but I also am just like you don't get to play this game with me, sir. <laughs> now, do, do you do you come across that a lot in in not only in your position at, at Kickstarter, but just as you know, as a woman out in the world who's you know into board games and stuff? Because I know you know it is an issue, and and you know hopefully we're seeing that that's getting better. But I I don't I I can't speak that that's the case because clearly that's not an issue that I have to deal with somewhere. Um, I mean, I think, I think I'm in a little bit of a advantaged place just cause I get to have that card that as soon as I play that card, I'm going to be treated differently wherever I go. And I know that having it in, the, in my back pocket, right. uh, if I didn't have that card, like, let's just say I was, I was just, you know, this massive fan of board games. I think it would be a little bit different. And I do feel like I have to kind of prove myself a little bit. Um, cause I've definitely had experiences where, you know, people find out what I do for a living and they're like, oh, you don't know this game or you don't know this game. And I'm like, well, I don't know every game that exists. That's literally not my job. Like I want an encyclopedia of board games. <laughs> you know, if I was like a, 
a journalist or like a historian of some kind, I could, I guess I could kind of understand a little bit of that mindset, but I generally, as soon as I play the Kickstarter card, generally people are a little bit more willing to kind of be nicer. Um, But I'm also, I'm always really apprehensive to play games with people too, quite honestly, because I think people think that all I do all day is play games. And the reality is like, if you work in the games industry, you don't play a lot of games. (laughs) We don't have time. My job is not sitting around playing games. Like I'm working constantly. And so it, it is sort of an interesting thing where it's like, uh, so my a really good friend of mine, Victoria Tran, uh, is the community manager. She was the community manager for uh, Kitbox Games. Came out with digital games, right? Video games. Uh, they came out with a game called Boyfriend Dungeon, and she was the community manager for them for years and years and years. And she recently moved on to Innersloth, uh, who's the team who made Among Us. Um, oh, he is busy. Just <laughs> like. He was just like, oh, yeah, I did. I, I played Among Us with uh, AOC. It was fun. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but she put it like, kind of perfectly where I was like, oh, yeah, I, I play a lot of Among Us with friends of mine through Discord. And I invited her to a game. And she was like, Anya, I, I would love to play with you. But I don't try to play Among Us when I, do, when I have my downtime. <laughs> like, you've got to understand that it's a job. And it's exhausting. And it's too much. And sometimes that's, that is how I feel about games. Is it's just like, it's not always easy for me to turn that part of my brain off as like a game industry person. If I'm looking at it from like a game games from like a game design perspective, where I'm just like, I don't like this randomization. I don't like this design element. I don't like this art. I don't like this or worse is I'm like, Oh, I know this person is a creep and I don't want to have anything to do with their content. Right. So it's like, sometimes it can get a little bit jarring just to kind of like shut that part of my brain off. So I try to find games that, are not games that I would normally work with on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> do, you, do you have a preferred uh, style of board game? Are you know, Euro stuff or, or, you know, some of the uh, minis? What's your typical? Yeah. I mean, I play a lot of party games, quite honestly. Um, I I was not a board game person until I got this job at Kickstarter. I was exclusively, uh, like, digital games. So, t- uh, um, not tabletop. Video games and, and mobile games. Um, I like stuff. Like I love deck builders. I love Dominion. Um, a friend of mine loves to play um, Pandemic Rise of Cthulhu. Love that game. That is a super fun game. Um, I played a lot of D and D for years. <laughs> um, I definitely like role playing games. Um, you know, I love stuff like social deduction games, Werewolf and Secret Hitler and. Uh, in human condition stuff like that but like just really simple party games sometimes are they're just they're easy they're fun and they're accessible that's kind of my biggest thing is like I don't have a regular gaming group and so I think if you don't have a regular gaming group sometimes these like Euro games and even some of the more intense deck builders can be really difficult to kind of like takes 45 to you know sometimes two days to explain how to play some of these games and so if you don't have a regular gaming group it can get really sort of taxing on like you know someone who's never played some of these games before absolutely um we don't we typically don't do a lot of board uh, like party games yeah once i moved cross coast like that Mm -hmm. sort of went away And, and, you know, the, even board game stuff, I do a lot of two-player stuff just because it's easier to get another person than it is to maybe get, you know, four or five people together. Well, and now, forget yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. non-existent. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And also like, I feel so out of the loop, just not going to any of the cons. Mm. Like I just, you know, and I'm also like, I would be happy to spend a bunch of money on games right now, but I don't know when I'm going to be able to play games with people. You know, right. it's not that simple right now. I, th- I, and I agree, but I just bought like six or seven games. <laughs> So, eh, you know, I get it. this is also why I spend a lot of money on switch on my switch games. So it's like, well, yeah. Yeah. But do you do a lot of conventions then? Are, are you at a bat for Kickstarter? Do you go on your own? You say you're not as much of a board gamer. Beginning um, start. Yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think if I were to, even if I were to go to a PAX, just like as me on your comes, the individual, it wouldn't matter because I've, I do so many conventions and Kickstarter always has some sort of like big integration of some kind that like I fortunately or unfortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it. I'm people kind of, all the creators know who I am or most of the creators know who I am. And so it's like, I could go by myself, but it's just going to turn into Kickstarter talk. Right. <laughs> like the closest thing that I could go to where I would probably get away from that is something like Comic-Con. Cause that's not really my world. Um, but if it's a games convention, I, I, no matter what I do, I'm going to have to put that Kickstarter hat on, um, which is fine. It, it's totally cool. I don't mind that at all. Um, but yeah, I was doing probably one to two conventions a month before oh, wow. all of this. Yeah. I was traveling all over the place. I got, I, my jet blue mileage was so high. I didn't have to pay for the back to California for Christmas one year. Nice. <laughs> so I'm happy to get to, you know, two or three in a year. <laughs> God. I mean, there's and like, it's such a, it's just such a crazy life sometimes that I think about that I lead just not doing it this year where I was like, oh, I only went to two conventions this year. That's so like, that's like nothing. Um, I went to PAX South and PAX East and that was it. I think that was it. Was there another one? There might've been one more, but again, they tend to blend together after a while. Yeah. Uh, but I think last year, I think I did like 17 or 18 conventions. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And they're all different. Uh, I was like this year, this year was going to be, I'm kind of, uh, a little bit of me is a little glad that I like didn't do the crazy travel because I would have been in Japan, Poland, oh, wow. Croatia, Germany, uh, maybe Australia. Like it, yeah, it gets, and then all over the US, Canada. Um, it can be a lot. So I'm a little nervous when the world opens back up that I'm just going to basically be on a plane for like two years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you get to see cool stuff though. That's cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a very cool life. It is a weird life, uh, <laughs> but it is a very cool life. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. And, and circling back around to the, to the, you know, Kickstarter numbers and stuff. What's generally speaking the the success rate for in in the board game section or, or you know tabletop? I guess video games as well. Yeah. So uh, site wide, the success rate is about thirty eight percent. That's all of Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. So that's all fifteen categories. Um, this year, the tabletop success rate was seventy percent. Wow. Uh, and the video game success rate, uh, it was, it, and all these numbers are higher. So, so typically video games is about 21% and I believe tabletop is it's between 50 and 60. I can't remember if it was 50 or 66. So between 50 and 60, uh, 
but tabletop was 70% and video games actually went up to 30%. So there was a 10% increase oh. in video games. Yeah, it was, the tabletop was just like, just launch a project, you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is not what you would think, right? With, with people losing their jobs, we had so much unemployment, you know, earlier in the year. And obviously that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you'd see that I, I would have expected to see maybe a little bit of a downturn this year. I know people are home, but, you know, a lot of people are, are not as well off. Well, I think it's two things that are happening. Um, Cause I said the same thing. I was like, Oh, we're done. Like, I don't know how we're going to be these like metrics that we've set forth for ourselves for this year. Like nobody saw it. Well, I mean, I guess we did see it coming. It's just, you know, whatever. That's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> but I think the two things to keep in mind are people who are employed um, and are still bringing in a decent sized paycheck. Um, you know, there's there's nothing to do. There's there's nothing to spend money on, and so that coupled with we've essentially seen all the content that's out there, right? Like we've watched everything on Netflix, we've watched everything on Hulu. I've you know I've I've read all the books, I've done everything, I've played all the video games. Um, the the people are just starved for content and they're starved for human interaction. And so once, you know, it's like, Oh, you can have six people, you can have 10 people, whatever it is, you want to have things to do. Um, and that's not necessarily stare at a screen because we're staring at screens all day long. So even if it is like, Oh, come over and watch a movie. I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to watch a movie. <laughs> I don't want to look at a screen anymore or you know, let's play this video game. I'm like, Oh my God, I love, I love video games. I love to play video games. So like, I don't want to stare at a screen. Uh, what's a great alternative where you can have that face-to-face interaction, but it's still like playtime is a board game. Right. And yeah. so I think, to me, it makes sense that like board games are doing so well because people are like, oh, I can play these board games and I can, you know, spend all this money on these board games in anticipation of when the world opens back up, but also keeping it small to your pod, to your family, to your friends, to your roommates, to your, you know, whoever. Um, Having a diversified set of games is fantastic for that. Yeah, yeah. I I can't get my parents into stuff. I tried playing Splendor with them and they're just like, What? And I'm like, This this is the easiest game I could probably bring over. Like, you know, just, and they're like, No, let's just play Pinochle. I'm like, oh, I mean, all right, I'll, I'll, yeah. I enjoy playing Pinochle, but like, I've got all these games, like, we could do other stuff. And they're like, Nah, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, brought a, I brought Secret Hitler home a couple years ago for Christmas. But the funny part is I played it with my, with my parents and my sister, her husband. So it would have been five of us. Yeah. But my mom is not from the U S uh, she and her family actually, they came here because they were fleeing fascism playing secret Hitler with her. was one of the funniest experiences. (laughs) Once she understood what was going on, she just kind of crossed her arms and she was like, I'm not saying a word. (laughs) I'm not saying a word. I'm not telling you anything. I was like, oh, this is like real. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I'm trying to get her to play Among Us. I think it might take her a couple weeks to figure out how to like download the game. So I might have to walk her through that. But I just know she would be hysterical to play that game. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's something you got to Twitch stream. (laughs) (laughs) So so for... um, successfully funded games or, you know, maybe 70% this year for, for, uh, for board games out of that percentage, how many that are successfully funded fail to deliver? I can imagine it's a pretty small number. Well, we're not going to know that number for a while um, because that, you know, of that 70%, 
it's kind of an impossibility to know right now. What I can say is that there was a study that was done in 2015, an independent study. And what we found is about 10% of projects uh, don't deliver. Um, hmm. We found for games, it's actually 9%. Um, and what we found, uh, and this was done again through an independent research study that was done. You can look up all the numbers on Kickstarter. Uh, but what they just, I shouldn't say we, what they discovered is that uh, the cases of people that just like took the money and run was almost non-existent. It was incredibly small. It was like a fraction of a number. And oh. what happened more than anything else is that people just didn't plan accordingly. Or there was like, you know, there was something happened with like a shipment, something happened with a business, something happened with like, you know, personal stuff. Like, you know, in one case, the creator died. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and four people were like, where's my project? And it's like, well, hold on, you know, geez. Uh, but there's this idea that like people just get all this money and then, you know, well, you have the money. Why can't you just deliver the thing? And it, I don't think people realize how much it actually costs and how much time, energy, resources, and just like, general sort of like you know emotional and physical labor goes into launching a game and then coming out with that game um i also think that like there's so many services that are in place now um there's more publishers there's more fulfillment companies there's more there's just more options to kind of make sure that you're securing a lot of those things the the challenge that i'm nervous about going into 2021 is uh one i mean I think it'll be a little bit easier in the states just because of our uh, we have we're gonna have a new president. Um, we hate the postal service for some arbitrary reason. Or um, everybody. Yeah, like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so I think that's that will be a little bit easier in terms of shipping. But I think for things like Brexit, I think that is going to be incredibly difficult for European creators. I mean, obviously UK creators. It's going to be just like it's who knows what's going to happen sort of thing. Um, I also think that there was a lot of concern about the shipping of things with coronavirus, but I think what we've seen now is that like shipping stuff is fine. It's easy. You just get it, wash your hands and you're, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, so I think that's going to probably subside a little bit. Uh, but more than this is all to say, this is a roundabout way of saying what happens when people don't fulfill more than, anything is because it's a mismanagement of some kind if it's funds if it's personnel if it's you know product whatever it is but the people but this idea that people just take the kickstarter money and don't deliver it's pretty rare that that happens right and and i can see where you know if someone says you know maybe they need you know twenty thousand or fifty thousand dollars and they think they're going to make you know 500 games or a thousand games and then they wind up just doing gangbusters and you know now they have to make 10,000 games. Well, that never even crossed their mind. So now it's like, oh my God, what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. I think what people don't realize is that like when you're talking to like a fulfillment partner and let's say that you're like, great. So we agreed upon, you know, 500, maybe we go to a thousand. If suddenly that's 10,000, you have to redo those entire conversations. All of that is brand new. That's not just like, oh, great, we have more money, right? Well, does that fulfillment company, are they able to really take you on as a client then? Like, that's not a guarantee. And it's not a situation where it's like, oh, all this money is going to come rolling in because of it. Like, you still need to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, you might need to find a new fulfillment partner. The worst that I've seen are people that are like, I'll just do it out of my home. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like, don't do that. We did that. My friend ran a Kickstarter. We did everything out of our apartments. And, and that was fine because it was small and easy. But, like, 
I couldn't imagine if we had 10,000 orders to fill, like that's, that's, and the room for this, you know, the stats behind that in terms of like room for error, things get lost in the mail, the wrong envelope gets, you know, this is, that's just human error and that happens too. Right, right. I just want to circle back to the to the big number of a of a billion dollars, and and you know there's bigger game companies that are in there, cool mini or not, and all that stuff. But I, I suspect that a large majority of that is small independent creators. Is, are there numbers that confirm that, or is that just wild speculation on my part? Um, I mean, I think it's a good combination. I would say that like smaller creators in tabletop means something different than in video games. Um, you know, the average the averages are a little bit different in tabletop, but like, it's definitely most of it is like small to mid tier creators versus the sort of big creators. But it's not, you know, tabletop's also a place where it's like, it's not uncommon to make a million dollars. That's not an unreasonable number, half a million dollars in tabletop video games. It's a lot more difficult, but in tabletop, someone's like, yeah, I made half a million dollars for my card game. It's like, yeah, sounds right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we see Dwarven Forge, you know, yeah, at millions of dollars for every Kickstarter, and uh, you know, John, John Wick's Seven C was, yeah, yeah, you know, he was what like one point two or two point one or whatever it was. I mean, just there's you know, people have uh, you know a need just for that, and and it's not even about the game per se. I mean, I guess part of it is right, like you want the cool dwarven forge stuff, but but the Dwarven Forge stuff gets you to the table where you get to hang out with your friends. Like, and that's really the end goal in, in your whole category that you're working in. It's just to bring people together to have fun and just to be able to relax and, and just get together. Like, ah, it's just such a. Well, the paraphernalia, like sort of subcategory. So like things that are like dice, uh, dice bags, uh, I don't, this doesn't necessarily fit, but I'm just, just to mention it, wormwood tables, right? Like that's not really paraphernalia, but like, you know, they made $8 million on for tables. They made tables and they made $8 million, which is wild to me. Although I, I want one of those tables. They're very nice. They're very cool. Yeah, I don't know where I would put it in my tiny New York city apartment, but like I'd figure it out. But, uh, that actually brings in a lot of money. Like minis in particular, not just from Dwarven Forge, but just in general, the, like many projects bring in a significant amount of money, which is so kind of interesting to think about. But then again, dice bags, dice towers, dice, um, you know, tarot cards, playing cards, things that aren't necessarily a traditional game. They bring in a, a, a good, I wouldn't be able to put numbers behind that, but we do know that they bring in a lot of money, which is really cool. That's cool. Well, you can never have enough dice. You can never have enough cards. <laughs> exactly. Never enough. <laughs> never enough books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the, the books, the codexes, the, all that. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, let's see. I got uh, questions here. Um, do, do, do. Ask you about your experiences. Okay, I'm gonna edit all this part out. <laughs> um, so as far as like people coming to Kickstarter, um, you know, what advice do you give to first-time creators? I know you know you need to build your community and things like that, but I'll I'll let you jump into all that and sort of like, you know, what are the some some of the nuts and bolts? Because there is a formula to Kickstarter. Kind of, yeah. I mean, there's there's like uh, best practices, I guess I would say. So a lot of the other uh, categories, so I know like our design and technology team, they like to send like a one sheet, which is just like, here's what you need to do. Um, uh, we kind of have never really subscribed to that 
uh, not because it's bad or anything like that. It's just, it's the needs of the category and the needs of the creators. Um, we're very lucky in the games category because games is so synonymous with Kickstarter and, and synonymous with crowdfunding. Um, so our community is very aware of what's going on. We'll all talk to each other. They're, they're very, very aware of what's happening. Um, so it's difficult for us to send a one sheet because each project is so unique and different and we want to give that time and that space to have, you know, every creator to ask whatever they want. That's totally okay. Uh, so the sort of generalized tips and tricks that I could give. Uh, so one, uh, keep your project 30 to 35 days in length. Uh, anything over 35 is too much. Anything less than 30 is too little. The only sort of caveat with that is if there's a specific prompt, if we're running a prompt that you want to be a part of, and let's say the prompt is only for like seven days, that's fine. But if it's not part of a prompt or you're, you have some like, I don't know, weird meta game that you're playing, uh, keep it to 30 to 35 days. That's ideal. Uh, two, your launch day is incredibly important. So what we found is that Tuesdays and Wednesdays tend to be really good days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday are not good. Um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, people are, they might be on their computers. And I understand people are like, but it's COVID. Everybody's on their computers all day. But like everybody still needs a break. Um, right. People are just really aren't pledging on those days. Uh, Friday or uh, Tuesday and Wednesday tend to be like really good launch days. Uh, and then the time of year is also important when it comes to launch days. So we found that like middle of January to the beginning of May is a good time. That's typically when like conference season starts. Uh, mm -hmm. And mid August to the beginning of October is like sort of the second best time. Summer is fine. It's not a bad time by any means. I would just keep in mind that summer tends to be, especially in Europe, like vacation season. So people are probably gonna miss stuff just cause they're on vacation. Um, right. And then also just anything past, like if your project ideally would end at the end of October, first two weeks of, of November at the absolute latest. But once we're in that holiday season, like we are right now, like because Kickstarter is not a store at the end of the day, people aren't really pledging to projects as much as they are like when it's not a holiday season. And especially now, like, you know, I mean, granted, hopefully people are not traveling right now, um, which, Anyway, uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's a little bit of money being saved on travel and things like that, but people are still buying, you know, Christmas gifts. And so that sort of instant gratification, that instant purchase doesn't exist on Kickstarter, right? Um, it takes time to make the thing. So if you just buy something, it's not going to happen. It takes time. Right. Uh, and then come January when those Christmas bonuses have sort of been like all wrapped up and everything like that. Uh, middle of January is typically when we see the start of the, the Kickstarter season. Um, right. So then the third thing, uh, like you've mentioned, is community, commu building your community. What we've seen for first-time creators, um, and that means typically your first one to two, maybe third Kickstarter. It really just sort of depends, again, so many different caveats here. 30% um, of your pledges will come in through the Kickstarter ecosystem. So that's people just finding the project on the site. That does include any features. There's this misconception that if you get features on Kickstarter, suddenly your project's going to be seen by all these people and you're going to get all these pledges and not really the case. It's pretty rare. That that happens. It helps. It does help. I'm not I'm definitely not going to like discredit that by any means. Um, but it's more of just literally a badge of honor above anything else. Um, so about 30 to 34% of pledges will come in through Kickstarter. That means you as the creator are essentially responsible for bringing in 65 to 70% of your pledges. Uh, that's the community that you're able to build. So that's not just, I have all these people on Twitter. That's your Twitter, your Facebook, your Discord, your 
your mailing list, your friends, your family, like where are the people that are going to come to the project and pledge? Um, I get the question a lot of like, well, how big should my community be? Um, simple answer there is take your funding goal and divide it by what the base game price will be. So if it's like $50,000 is what I know my goal is and $20 is how much the game is going to cost, divide those two numbers, that's 2,500. 2,500, I think, yes, 25,000, 2,500. Uh, double that size, so that's 2,500 people that need to pledge $20 each, double that amount. So get 5,000 people uh, in your community. And again, that's a larger sort of holistic view of what community is. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, hey, come talk to us. We wanna talk to you. That's literally my job is to work with creators on fine tuning their project as best as I can. Um, so reach out to me, reach out to John, reach out to Michael, or just reach out to like games at, um, we're accessible pretty much all over the internet. Um, just don't email me once an hour demanding to know why I haven't responded. Please don't do that. That's really annoying and super rude. Uh, but we are we are a resource. We're here to help. And, and it's it's funny that you say that, but I but I know it's it's so true because we you know we exist in a society where you're carrying a supercomputer in your pocket all the time, and you're like, well, I sent the text, I sent the email. Like, where's the, you know. You, you just sort of become habituated to that. Just yeah. in, you, because communication is instant for all intents and purposes now, but yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes you take that for granted that like, oh yeah, people like do stuff. <laughs> yeah, people have lives. And also like, I, I get it, I, I get it. Trust me, I get it. I get frustrated when I'm like texting somebody and they don't respond back immediately if it's like an important conversation. I totally get it. Um, we gotta allow people a little bit of time. Like, it's normal. It's okay. We'll get back to you. We get a lot of emails. We get a lot of emails. I get a lot of Twitter DMs. <laughs> I was one of those. <laughs> but I responded. You did. You did. Uh, yeah, it, it's, man, it's it's just such a crazy, I mean, the, the culture is just, it's so, we're such a weird place. I mean, COVID aside, like, everything's just so, like, nuts like everything's just so nuts anymore i know i think it's I like i think it's that we are conditioned to respond because it's rude not to but i also think that there's sort of a secondary side to it which is i want to give the person that i'm talking to my full undivided attention mm -hmm. and so i'm talking to somebody but i'm on twitter on my phone and i'm checking my email at the same time of those three things like, how is that actually helpful for the person that I'm talking to? So I yeah. try to encourage people to look at it from the perspective of like, the reason that I'm not immediately responding to you or the reason that it's taken me a little bit of time is because I'm trying to make sure that you get the attention that you deserve as the recipient of whatever the message is, right? Like, I don't want to half-ass a message to somebody, especially in like a professional work setting, um, because I understand how important this is. Like, it's not just a game right like because that's that's like what i hear sometimes is like but it's just a game like what's right. the big what's the issue and the the issue is that every creator that i work with i don't view them as like something that's just like as simple as like a game creator or like anything like that when people i've had people who like don't really understand what i do for a living say like oh you're clients and i'm like no no <laughs> never use that word around me i hate it it's disgusting it's don't say that yeah. um like at the end of the day, I work with artists. Um, every anybody who makes a game is an is an artist and and should be treated as such. Um, and I think that I'm an artist myself too. So I get 
the anxieties that are around it. I get the fear. I get the the highs and the lows and everything that's sort of surrounded with being an artist and, and being a creative person. Um, and I want to make sure that like my, I, I have done a good job if I'm, if I'm able to like break through some of those anxieties and like calm people down uh, and like work with people on what is the best thing for you as an artist versus just like, this is just another game. We'll just like churn through the system. Like, I think that's, I don't, ever want to exist in that space. And and I know it's my time to leave Kickstarter once I start thinking that way. Yeah, yeah. Ho hopefully that's not inevitable. <laughs> hopefully, you know, I don't they can be Yeah, yeah. Because a, a smaller place is, is nice to work with because there is a, a better level of communication. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. I, I work for a big company and it, it, you know, it's nice and salaries, nice and benefits, whatever, but like it sucks a lot of times because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if I show up to work because they can get some other guy to show up to work and do the same thing and they don't care as long as the job gets done. Yeah. And it's kind of shitty. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. No, totally. That's how I felt at Nickelodeon. Yeah. Well, like, that's oh. a machine over there. Yeah, it was crazy. I was like, oh, SpongeBob. All right. Well, this fictional sponge is just breaking in the money more than anyone else here. Great, great, great. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, so my kid was looking yesterday. They were having a conversation about, about SpongeBob because we watched it. I enjoyed it. Whatever. There's like 1,700 episodes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's crazy. It's been out for like 20 years. Yeah. I always encourage people to look up uh, the story of how SpongeBob was pitched to Nickelodeon. Hmm. It's, it's a good wild story. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'll have to, uh, I have to look that up then. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, and you said that you, you know, you're, you're also, but all right, let me go back. Uh, you know, talking about communication, I, I feel like a lot of, you know, artistic folks, creators are a little bit more on the introverted side, but, you know, sweeping generalization. Uh, yeah. But I know just in people that I speak to people podcast with, you know, we all tend to be a little bit more introverted so that, you know, it can be difficult to, you know, to build those communities, to make that communication, to, to send that email or that DM to be like, hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any suggestions for people who may be hesitant to, to maybe reach out and make contact? Yeah. So I would say the first, there's a couple things to think about. Um, if you want me to look at your project, you and I can't believe I have to say this, I get it but I think people forget this. You have to link me to your project. I can't just find it necessarily. Like I, there's, you know, as you were saying, there's 600 live projects today, right? There's so many different projects. Um, I need, I need you to link me to what it is. And if you don't have a link, that's totally okay. But like, help me help you. Let me know what the name of it is. How can I find it? Like what's going on? Give me the information. Um, it's definitely not a less is more, but there's there's certain things that are important for me to know. One is what is your funding goal? When do you want to launch? And how big is your community? Those are the three things I'm going to ask every single person that I speak with, especially if they're like brand new and you know they're either new to the platform or they're new to me or something like that. Um, those are the three things that I'm always going to ask because um, that's a, that's sort of a big one. Uh, also like, I need to know exactly what it is that you're looking for. So I'll just have people send, they'll say like, Hey, I heard you on, you know, whatever. 
uh, and they'll link me to their project, but then I won't get a sense of like, what is it that you, you want from me? Like if you want feedback, that's totally fine. Just say like, Hey, I was just looking for a little bit of feedback, but like, I need to know exactly what it, what it is. Or I have to kind of like lower prioritize it because you haven't given me a direct call to action. Right. Um, think about it in the sense of like, you know, my job here is to help you. And so give me the clear communication of what it is and I can help you. If I have to, if I have to pull it out of you, it just becomes sort of a, like, it's a painful process for both of us. Um, I also hate when I get Twitter DMS that just say, Hey, <laughs> cool. Like what? I can't do anything with this. Uh, and I'm going to delete it, unfortunately, like, unless I don't know what this is. If you're, if you're just looking for somebody to talk to it, it's not me. Um, that's what therapy is for. So, well, well, but especially as a female too, like, you know, you get unsolicited messages that like, what, like, what is that then? Like, then it leads to like a whole other, like check down list. I would imagine of like what's happening. I would also say that the one that just, personally irks me is when people try to like I understand people want to be polite and kind but like please don't use the winky emoji in your messages <laughs> it's it real creepy and it's weird and it's like it's, just don't do it um if it's like we know each other and there's a report it's totally fine but if I don't know you just just maybe don't emoji at all just to begin with <laughs> Um, I would say that's definitely one to think about. Uh, and, it, and it's totally okay if it happens. Like, I'm never going to put anybody on blast and be like, I can't believe this happened. It's just like, hey, just be a little bit more mindful. That's it. Someone right. someone else might take this the wrong way. So I'm thinking about you want to be a part of the community. You want to be a prolific game designer. You want to be taken seriously. You have to kind of present that outward appearance too, even if it is a digital sort of like format and digital communication. Right, right. And, and unfortunately, we still see that. I, there's uh, a person currently uh, on Twitter who's been on Twitter, I guess, for a while, and you can't mention the name because then it brings all the trolls or whatever, uh, that, that where we still sort of see this behavior, unfortunately, fairly regularly, I guess, though, um, you know, because everybody's super cool when they're sitting at their computer and can say whatever it is that they want to say without, you know, any ramification. I, yeah. It's crappy. And it, and it sucks because the board game and, and, and video game space, I'll just say by extension, because I don't really know, but in the board game space, podcasting space, like it is all about the community and it's about the communication and, and making connections and having, you know, people on your shows and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, but, but to still see that, sort of in that space sucks. It does suck. And I think I will say like, you know, I've been in games almost 13 years and there's a lot of people that have paved the way for me. Uh, I hope that I'm in a place to pave, you know, the way for more people. Um, but it's definitely, it has changed, it, you know, it, in a lot of ways it's gotten better. In some ways it's not that it's gotten worse. It's just that it stayed the same, uh, which is arguably just as bad as getting worse. Um, but I think people are a little bit more willing to sort of speak out, which is something that when I first started was not an option. Um, and so I think the more that people can have those discussions, the more that people can have that time and that space to say like, hey, I've experienced this thing or I noticed this thing. Like, I think that's important. I would also just note that like, if there's behavior that's happening that is 
weird or inappropriate. Uh, it's not secret. Yeah. Yeah. Usually <laughs> we're all going to find out about it. Someone's going to say something. So if you think you're getting away with something, like it's two things. It's like, if you think you're getting away with something, you're not, I can tell you that right now, you're not getting away with it. This is a small community. Everybody talks to each other. All the women in, in games is even smaller and we all talk to each other. So we know. Right. Um, the other thing is if you didn't realize you were doing something, and someone is saying, hey, what you're doing is not okay, the response shouldn't be, you took this the wrong way. The response is, oh, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. That's all you need to say. Like, that's literally it. Uh, right. No one's going to keep bringing it up, No one's right? Unless it's a behavior that you continue with. But if you are like, oh, I didn't realize I was saying X, Y, and Z. And that, that goes for, it doesn't matter who, race, gender, sexual orientation, whatever. Like, everybody makes mistakes for human. It's okay. Just take a little bit of time and say like, Oh, didn't realize I was doing that. I'm sorry. I will do better next time. Thanks for calling me out on that. Have you had those conversations at conventions or, or have you been, you know, party to, you know, those, those sorts of conversations? Cause you know, depending on, you know, what kind you're at and what part of the country and everything, you know, there's a lot of guys that look like me, the, the conventions, like it's just the yeah. way that it goes. Um, and, and like you say, some, some people may not be aware, some people are just shitty. It's unfortunate, but it's yeah. the world that we live in. Um, but, but have you had opportunity to, to do that? And, and what's been the response? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, again, I have the Kickstarter umbrella under me. And so I have that shield essentially shield umbrella, whatever. Uh, so I'm a little bit lucky where it's just like, I, as soon as people know who I am and as soon as people know what I do, I am going to be treated differently. Um, so it's a pro and a con. It's a pro and a con, quite honestly. Uh, so I feel like that gives me the opportunity to speak up for people who maybe are not able to speak up. And that gives me the opportunity to showcase people who would not other be show, not would not otherwise be showcased, right? Um, so that's me being able to say, Hey, I'm on this panel, but it's all white people. I'm not going to do this panel or, Hey, I'm the only woman that you could get for this panel. Why am I the only woman that you could find? What about, you know, or, you know what, I'm actually on five panels. I'm going to recommend someone else who, whose voice is a little bit more important than mine. Um, so like, that's been a hugely rewarding thing that I just have the like option to do which is like great one of my favorite parts of my job um i mean i've definitely like walked walked into situations and been like nope this is not happening uh specifically just like i'm getting my friend out of this situation or you know it doesn't have to be a thing it's it's one of those things where it's just like well if i saw racism happening i would be the first one to speak up and like when you're in, when it's like when you're actually faced with it it's not that blatant sometimes you just don't really know what's going on yeah. um but a lot of it too is just sort of saying like, Hey, that was really uncool. What that person said to you, how do you, how are you doing? Or I can tell you are uncomfortable. How do you want to proceed with this? Right. Um, the last thing that you want to do is white knight a situation. That's the, that's like, that's not the thing. That's not the move. That's not the thing to do. You have to check in with the person. Um, or, you know, I've, people have said things around me where I'm like, Hey, maybe you don't say that. Let me explain why. Or, you know, the big one is just like correcting pronouns knowing if someone you know uh has a specific pronoun and people are not using it and saying me not saying actually you know so and so uses they or they pronouns just continuously using the pronouns that i know the person uses um and even as like a you know cis 
woman using my own pronouns when I introduce myself, little things like that, I think are like really helpful to do. Those are like, those are like bottom of the barrel, easy ways to kind of just like create a little bit of a safer space. (laughs) The minimum that we can do. (laughs) It's the minimum that we can do, but it's like those tiny acts go so far. And if you just make it a day, like part of your daily practice and also understand that like just those, those words, daily practices, it's a practice. You're going to mess up. You're going to forget. I, I forget to say my pronouns all the time. Um, it's only when other people are around me that are doing it that I'm like, oh, right. I need to use my pronouns. Um, but I have like a little pronoun button on one of the jackets that I wear to cons just so it's like presentable. So, right. Yeah. And a lot of cons I think are including that, um, there's little like tags and stuff now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the badges and stuff. I know the, the cons I go to here, they do that as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, little things like that are not actually little, they have a huge, deep, deeply like impactful sort of meaning, but it's, you know, it's just being observant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely kicked people out of the booth before where I'm just like, no, you gotta go. I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's good. I mean, sometimes that's the only response that is appropriate. <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and I never, like, I never am going to just like call again. I'm not going to call unless it's like a pretty egregious situation, but I'm also not a confrontational person. I'm pretty like, Ah, I don't like this. Uh, but I'll definitely pull people aside and just be like, you need, you need to go. I'm sorry. But like, I, we just kind of can't have this type of behavior. Um, you know, if someone's like drunk at a party or something, I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm going to get you some water and I'm going to get you a cab and you need to go home. It's right. right. Well, and, and the awareness that you, that you spoke about, you know, being in a situation like, oh, I, you know, I'll, I'll see racism and I know it. Unless it's egregious, right? So like something that, you know, may be offensive, I, you know, may not notice it off the cuff, right? Like, because it's just not something that daily, you know, that someone who looks like me has to engage with all of the time. Like, I'm not being pulled over for driving down the street. I'm not being yeah. stopped while I'm walking around the neighborhood. I'm not, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I'm aware, you know, in a sense of like, I know these things happen, yeah. but, but it's not happening to me necessarily. So like, you know, maybe to con you, you don't hear what's happening yeah. as what's really happening, right? And like that's just the, the awareness of of sort of being out there and it's not necessarily looking for it, but but at least being aware of it. Yeah. I think it's there's like two things to think about there, which is one is like if someone says something and you're like, that kind of hits my ear wrong, um, I think it's totally okay to say like, huh, what do you mean by that? Or like question people yeah. on kind of what they're saying. Because um, if someone's like, oh, it's a joke, it's a joke. It's like, well, you could potentially be in gaslighting territory just because you're being caught for making a joke that's inappropriate. Right. And it's so much better just to be like, I thought I was being funny. I thought I was making a joke. That wasn't cool. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. Great. That's literally all that needs to happen. Um, And I think the second thing is like, I think it's important to listen to marginalized people in the community when they tell stories. Right. So, and the most important, like, I feel like the most powerful words that people can here who are marginalized I'm as a you know I'm a biracial woman uh is I believe you like I believe this happened because I have I've had so many times something has happened and I've I've had you know I've gone to people who I thought were allies and they try to invalidate my experience by saying like oh you just took that the wrong way Hmm. and I'm like no I don't think I did and even if I did that doesn't mean that my experience wasn't scary or shitty or inappropriate or offensive or you know anything that it like if I didn't like it I didn't like it and that's kind of all that matters so like I believe you I'm sorry that happened like 
that's such a powerful thing. That's such a great way to show allyship. If you're like, I wasn't there, but this person is telling me this happened. Right. Right. Yeah. I, all, all good things to keep in mind is hopefully we get, you know, well, I mean, not even back to conventions, although I guess specifically talking about board gaming. Yeah. Conventions. But, you know, even when you're when you're out in your daily life, right? Like it's not a thing that like, oh, well, I only need to worry about this when I go and play games because I want to make sure that everybody's included. It's like yeah. when you're at the store, or when you're at work or, you know. Yeah. You know, you're at a picnic with a bunch of neighbors and, you know, somebody says something or does something that's not <laughs> not cool. Yep. Just like, hey, don't do that. I'll explain why. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Please don't stop washing your hands, everyone. Please wash your hands. Please wear a mask. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah, like, now yeah, for sure. Like, n- not even on those other things, but, like, yeah, just in, in your regular stuff with the COVID. Like, wow, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? yeah. I had a thing at work the other day, you know, we're, we're, you know, have to wear masks at work and, you know, maintain six feet and all that stuff. Two guys sit next to each other in the kitchen, one guy with a mask, one guy not. And I'm like, "Mm." so I went and I I told the supervisor, I'm like, look, I don't want to start a whole thing, but like, I see this repeatedly from a specific person. I think Mm -hmm. you need to like, give a reminder (laughs) because I don't want to lose my job because we get shut down. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, I think the thing about COVID that has shown me the importance and the power of community is it's not that people are trying to police each other. It's that people are looking out for the greater good of everybody else around them. So if you're being called out for not wearing a mask, it's not because you're if someone's like tattletaling and someone's trying to like tell on you. It's that you are putting potential, potentially like hundreds of people's lives in danger from one simple act. And so unfortunately, because you're not adhering to the social standards and the community standards that are being set forth, you do need to be called out on that behavior. Like wearing a mask is this is the easiest thing to do. It's not difficult. The resistance to, I'm not even talking about anti-maskers, like that's a whole separate. <laughs> Crazy thing. Yeah. I'm just talking about like, oh, I just don't like it. Like, cool. No one does. Nobody is like, I'm so excited to wear my mask. Like it sucks. It embrace the suckage. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I wear mine to the gym when I go. Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's just not a big. It's literally the the least thing that you can do mm-hmm. to, to try to help other people. And, it, and it's just, you know, it's not just like oh, uh, I, I saw a meme today and it was like uh, they showed a guy with a painting mask. And another guy with like, you know, uh, you know, like a, a respirator for asbestos, mm-hmm. like all these, you know, deadliest virus in the world. And, then, you know, like the medical mask. And like, well, first of all, nobody said it was the deadliest virus in the world. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, there's no precedent. You know, you can't make people I'm like uh, 1918. Like what? Yeah. Do we not remember? Like they used to beat the shit out of people for not wearing. <laughs> I'm not saying that we do that. But like yeah. there's, tons, you know, there's precedents for all this already. Like. Yeah. It's not like, you know, something we've never. It's just, it's, it's, it's maddening. <laughs> it's just, it's so stupid. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, we'll get, we'll get through it. Uh, come January, I think we're gonna have a different sort of approach to it. So. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking spring though, maybe. Right. I mean. Yeah. Because now they're saying that uh, you know we didn't order as many uh, vaccines that we could have, and you know, with the double dose stuff and, you know, you're going to get your, your, all your frontline people and the, you know, 
the, the elderly and the, the nursing homes and a lot of stuff. So I think it's going to be a little while before we start to see like a, a, a big push. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I try to think about it in the sense too, though, of like, that's still going to be a lot sooner if the election had been different. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. So like it sucks, but it, you know, at some point there has to be a turnaround and it feels like this may not feel like a turnaround because it still is like, we're still wearing masks and, and, you know, the numbers are getting worse and things like that. But like, once we have, you know, actual medical professionals <laughs> making decisions yeah. and scientists and not, I don't know, the, my pillow guy, like, right. I'm glad <laughs> you too. Yes, yeah, a person on YouTube is like, "Have you heard about PizzaGate?" And I'm like, "No, this guys, would you? Okay, um, we gotta, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna get through this. It's gonna be a process, but we just kind of have to like, it's gonna, it's, it has to suck a little bit before it gets better. And I also feel like it's not that you just wake up one day and everything's better. It's that you wake up one day and realize like, oh, it actually is had has been getting better. I just haven't even realized it. That's that's the best turn of events. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're all waiting. We're all waiting to feel that feeling because yeah. it's, it's the frog in the pot now. And it's just, ugh, it's just it's awful. Not, it's not for everybody. If anybody, again, if anybody is like, I am thriving during quarantine, I have so many questions about what you've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. I mean, I don't know that it's funny, but you know, because we do, you know, most of the gaming, you know, that we do online for the podcast and like, mm-hmm. I'm still going to work and the gym's sort of still open. So like, Things haven't changed a whole lot, which like feels really weird because I know it's affected people so much going the other way that like I tend not to like just throw that out to people a lot of times because it's like, I don't know, it seems pretty normal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it changed for me a lot. Like I, I was traveling so much and I was, you know, my, my second life is being a musician and that has just been put on hold for the inevitable future, which is fine. I mean, I can, you know, we're making it work as we can, but that secondary source of income didn't come in for months. Um, I'm hoping that that will pick up because that would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Did did you, is is music sort of a hobby? Were, Were you planning on something uh, more musical before or or how did that come about yeah i um i studied music in uh college that was why my major i studied at a classical conservatory um so I took it re- really seriously yeah. uh, did it all through high school junior high most of elementary i was like you know three years old sitting at a piano just like plunking around on it because i was like oh the things that i hear go on this that's cool <laughs> Uh, so it's what I thought I would do. And then I had about a year, two years in the music industry and was like, well, this sucks. Um, and also I realized like, I didn't really want to work on the business side of it. I wanted to, I ultimately wanted to play. I wanted to be an artist. Um, and then I took a bunch of time off from playing just cause I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And then when I moved out to New York, that was one of the promises that I made myself was like, I'm going to start playing again. And that was almost eight years ago. And I spent a lot of time just kind of like trying to redevelop a lot of those skills that I kind of lost. And the last couple of years has been spent really like, oh, this is like, this could be a second job of some kind. So like, I don't want to say it's a, it's just a hobby because it doesn't feel like that. And I think that I've had a lot of opportunities in music that 
feel like it's not just a hobby, um, but it is incredibly hard being a full-time musician without some sort of secondary source of work. And so I am very lucky that Kickstarter allows me the freedom and the opportunity to really pursue music when I want to, as long as the work is getting done. Kickstarter is very cool with just like, go do your thing. That's totally okay. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And you're in like three bands, right? I mean, too many. Too many. <laughs> always something. It's always a band. There's always a gig. There's always a thing. That's, and it's cool being in New York, right? Because I mean, I'm sure that provides a lot more opportunity being mm -hmm. in the city to, yeah. to be able to, to get out and, you know, COVID notwithstanding. Uh, to get out and express all that stuff and, and sort of, you know, be out in a, in a public space doing that. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of what I've been doing is just a lot of busking. So just going out and like playing in the streets, playing for bars and things like that, obviously maintaining a six foot difference. Like there's, there's rules and regulations that we adhere to as musicians too. Like we have our bells covered. We, if you're not playing, wear your mask, like it's all very safe. Um, right. But even that has been, like really rewarding, just not, you know, spending the last, what was it? It would have been six months of no performing. It was like, this sucks. This is the thing that like, you know, gives me a little bit of joy in my life. Live music is so great. I, I just enjoy, and, and not like, big, like I used to go to a lot of big concerts, you know, back when I was a teenager, but now I love, mm -hmm you know, I've had a couple of house concerts or, you know, just going to a, you know, a small club and, and, you know, a thousand people or 500 people or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's such an intimate experience and it's such a, it's such a powerful, like Zen, like yeah experience to get to, to go and just be present in that moment. Like, it's just such a, oh, I love it. Yeah. It's, there's, I've done like, I've done big shows. I've done like big, like festivals. I've done small shows. I've done, I've done a lot of weird. I, I seem to excel in the weird. <laughs> so <laughs> my, one of the bands that I play in, we played a gig like right as things were starting to like kind of reopen in New York and it was safe to do things. We did a gig where each person got an individual canoe and we just sailed through the Gowanus playing music. That was really, really <laughs> That's cool. cool. It was very cool. It was very, I was like, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done because sound travels. And so if you're too far away, you know, there's like a cadence and this whole thing. Um, and then we, a couple weeks later, we just played on a boat. <laughs> we were just on a boat sailing on the, the Hudson River for like six hours, just playing on a boat. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, that's been really interesting. Um, I've played, yeah, I've played a lot of weird gigs. Um, just over the years, but those, those two are definitely two of the weirder ones that I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what's your preferred style of music? Are you, I know you play sax. Are you into jazz at all or no, or. Yeah. I love jazz. I didn't study it. Um, it kind of got beaten out of me in classical conservatory. So like, I'm definitely like I'm trained again, I'm a trained classical musician, so I can, I'm like pretty decent at playing classical music. Classical saxophone is a little weird, uh, but it does exist. There's actually a whole repertoire. If you go to the Paris Conservatory of Music, it's a huge, huge deal out there. Um, I play mostly like Balkan pop, I would say. Uh, I, um, I'm trying to like teach myself how to play jazz. So I'm playing along with a lot of transcriptions. I'm doing a lot of listening. I'm doing the sort of like skill, the, the things that are necessary to sort of learn jazz. Improv is still really scary to me. Um, I just recently started doing it a couple of years ago and I joined a band last year that was basically like, if you're gonna play in this band, you have to, you just have to do it. 
I was like, okay. So like, it's still really scary to me. I still really don't enjoy doing it. Um, but I'm forcing myself out of my comfort zone. And it's also scary as like an introverted person to be showcased. It makes me really nervous. Um, but I guess I'm not terrible at it. I'm not great at it, but I'm not terrible. So, cause I keep getting asked to do it. So I'm like, okay, I guess <laughs> this is okay. Uh, I'm not, I'm not great at it at all. I have like, I mean, you know, it's a constant sort of moving target of learning it there. It's never going to be enough. Uh, but I'm doing my best to do the work. So, and now I'm going to have starting, starting next. So I guess it would be like the 22nd or something like that. I'm going to have two weeks off. Kickstarter is actually closed for two weeks. Hmm. Uh, so I'm just going to play a lot of saxophone, I guess. There you go. <laughs> who, who are some of your, your favorites for, for jazz? Uh, Jerry Mulligan is definitely my favorite. Uh, our pepper, uh, Colin Hawkins. Uh, yeah. I mean, Coltrane obviously. Um, yeah. For saxophone. And then, you know, I like Polonius Monk, uh, Lou Armstrong, the greats. The current yeah. guy, uh, Ben Wendell from knee body is like everything to me. <laughs> knee body is incredible. I love them a lot. Uh, Robert Glasper does a lot of really cool things. He's kind of a controversial figure in the jazz world, but like, I like him a lot. Um, and then there's a lot of just like fun brass bands in New York city that I really love listening to. And we're a small community. We all know each other. And so, and it's so funny, like in our little brass world, when people kind of know who I am, they don't necessarily know me as a sax player. They know me as the person from Kickstarter. But what's funny in the Kickstarter world is people are like, Kickstarter is cool. What's interesting is that you play the saxophone. And I'm like, so crazy to me. Like, it's I. It's like she's she's like a decent sax player, but she's like a she's like a weird gamer nerd person who's like really big deal in the games world, I guess. And in the games world, it's like, oh yeah, she's you know, our, she's like our person. She's like our games person, but like she's a really she's like this incredible sax player. I'm like, this is so like, what is happening right now? <laughs> well, you know, as, as like sort of as a gamer, right? They expect you just to sort of be a gamer, like, and that's the <laughs> thing that you do without any other. Yeah. outside <laughs> you know? yeah you know like being someone who who is a board gamer podcaster or whatever i like sports so like that puts me in a weird spot because people are like oh sports ball and i'm like okay yeah i mean yeah i, I guess but you know. except that sports are sort of based on games stats. yeah yeah you have to roll for stats to a certain degree you know a lot of it is luck versus skill yeah yeah, it, it's it's funny. It's it's funny that that happens like that. Cool. Uh, have you ever heard of Kurt Elling? Yeah. Oh, I love Kurt. Nice. He, he did his uh, 25th anniversary tour, like, uh, I guess it was all of end of October through November. It was like a concert every Friday for oh, like five yeah. weeks. It was amazing. That's so cool. And he's a super nice guy. I got a chance to see him at the Green Mill in Chicago one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I call him like, hey, is he here tonight? Like, oh my god, like I'm I'm in town. Like, oh my god, is he gonna be? Here? Oh yeah, he's got a show. He walked in the front door, took his coat off, started walking around, shaking everybody. So oh, it's nice to see you, blah blah blah. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so cool because you never know, right? I mean, you know, you listen to somebody, or you you know, you follow an author, or you know, whatever. You never know what you're gonna get. And he was just the nicest guy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, super um, cool. Musicians are. Musicians at the end of the day are just a bunch of band nerds who like made it big. You're right. You're right. <laughs> all it is, is. They're just a bunch of nerds. Everybody's just a, everybody's just like a shy, introverted, scared nerd. And once you realize that, it's 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 
like we're all just we're all just trying to make it you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure <laughs> in 2020 we should probably end on that right we're all just trying to make it <laughs> just trying to survive just trying to survive that's the only thing i'm doing right now yeah 100 percent. cool well i want to thank you for coming on this was was tons yeah. of fun um, and, and you know, get to learn a bunch about kickstarter and mm -hmm. like some of the same music so that's cool <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, don't a, I don't need a lot of people who are into jazz. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it makes up fractions of the market. So it's, it's cool to kind of be able to nerd out a little bit and talk about, <laughs> talk about jazz. Uh, anytime. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, obviously a big music person. So. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, do you want to give out? I, so I got a link for your Twitter and, and also for Kickstarter in the show notes. I, I don't know if you want to give that email on the. Yeah, um, anya at kickstarter.com or games at kickstarter.com. Either is totally fine. Cool. Awesome. Right. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank everybody for checking us out, and then uh, we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.